My name is Sam Jenks, and welcome to another episode of The Way We Source, a podcast hosted by Kodiak Hub, where we share our talks with procurement practitioners, leaders, experts, consultants, content gurus, and people that we find downright inspiring, diving into the role that sourcing and procurement plays in the way that we live. Today, we have the pleasure of hosting a real promoter for equality and inclusion, a lover of all things digital, and currently head of global indirect procurement and supplier diversity and equality at Logitech, David Latin. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sam. Real pleasure to be here. Uh, thanks for the invite. We're happy to have you on. Now, David, I would love to start with a question that we ask a lot of those that we have on to the show and start with a bit of a softball, but also something that's rather interesting to know. What exactly does sourcing and procurement mean to you? In really simple terms, I think I'd describe it as, particularly at a consumer goods-focused company like Logitech, what companies do, we essentially buy things, make things, and then ultimately sell things. Right. Uh, if you look at it through that simple lens, so sourcing and procurement is that central to the business. And I think, you know, so what? But, but the so what <laughs> is if it's done really well, sourcing and procurement can really create value for a business, drive innovation for a business, resilience, agility, all that sort of good stuff. And I think in my earlier career, one executive that I used to work under said that everyone in a business should either be there to sell more or to spend less. Mm. And I think you could actually argue that really good procurement can nearly do both, actually, in, in terms of really good sourcing and innovation can drive sales. But of course, obviously, it can save money, too. So I think that's a really cool place that procurement can, can be in a business. I, I love that notion. And, you know, procurement really is in a position of power. And we're going to talk a lot more about that today. You mentioned previously uh, that you'd previously had a career prior to procurement, or I'm not sure if this was said to you in the context of your career prior to procurement, but you have, in fact, worked in another uh, part of the business prior to procurement. It was finance and marketing, correct, by saying so? It was. It was finance. And I think... My professional qualifications and training were in finance, worked in finance for a number of years. Right. Um, but what I wanted to do, I wanted to move to somewhere that I could kind of impact more what a business will do mm. rather than necessarily record what it has done. And it was really exciting when I first moved into procurement that, that I was a sort of kid in the proverbial uh, sweet shop. And even things like negotiations, RFPs, <laughs> right. all very new to me really at the time and, and really exciting with that. But I think what's kept me around procurement is is really what happens in that really invaluable touch point with, with the external partners. And of course, it's that it's that vital pivot point between internal challenges and priorities uh, and external solutions. I think that's a that's a unique sightline that procurement has across the entire business. And, and it's that that's kept me around. And I think that can have such a huge asset and impact for, for the business when it's done well. So that's what's really kept me in procurement uh, for the long term. Yeah, cool to hear. Cool to hear. I know that you have some, some, some interesting and and some strong views about you know the value that procurement can deliver to to the business. And I'd love to to touch upon some of those. Uh, we were talking about it in in prep for this episode. You know, a little bit about the value proposition of procurement. And I'm, I'm curious, how do you see that procurement's value proposition is currently evolving, or is it evolving? Well, I think it's definitely evolved from when I first joined procurement, and, and I hope it's still continuing to evolve mm. because I think it's, it's absolutely essential that it does. Um, and I think where we find ourselves now versus traditional procurement is very much as business partners to, to the wider business. 
constantly asking ourselves, how do we empower the business to achieve their goals? Um, in, in kind of procurement 1.0, that would be very cost-focused, whereas today, of course, it could be more about sort of driving stakeholder opinions, customer opinions, right. overall business agility, ESG and DEI and those topics are, are really important now. And I think I think procurement has really woken up to the impact it can have in that space. All of that is very different from the traditional view of procurement. Uh, my view is predominantly that the business, if it viewed procurement as anything, it viewed procurement as a tool for the business to sort of literally hammer out a deal uh, or a negotiation on a, on a cost basis. Yeah. Um, and we've really gone through a transition over those years and it kind of makes you think of that old adage about what got us here will, will not get us there. And I think, what do I mean by that? Well, the new proposition of procurement, that business partner overall holistic view, is really quite dramatically different from, from the traditional um, functional excellence mm. view of procurement. And, and it does present a talent challenge. I, I know a lot of people have spoken about this, but I've experienced it too, that that. It's been a struggle with some really good traditional operators in procurement in terms of uh, sort of just skills-based procurement excellence. Mm. It's been quite difficult sometimes to, to get them to pivot to that new way of, of, of looking at things and that broader role of procurement. Um, and we've had most success with talent that is kind of always curious about how can I help Sam achieve what he needs to achieve uh, at the business, mm. has a great partnership attitude, uh, really determined to think, okay, what can we do next to influence the business? Everything else, frankly, can be taught, really. I, th I think functional excellence vital, but can always be taught. Um, what you need is that, is that business partnering um, attitude and, and really curiosity about how can we improve things. That, that's ultimately where procurement are, are going nowadays, I think. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, what was, what was the adage again? What brought us here is... What got us here will not get us there. It's it's actually, I think it's the title of a book. I can't remember the title of the <laughs> okay. book, but it, I think it really does stand for procurement because yeah. we have gone through this huge evolution over the over the number of years I've, I've been in procurement. And we still need those functional skills, but that's not really, that that's a tool for the business. Whereas we, you know, we all want to be a lot more than just a tool to the business uh, in procurement. Well, let's, let's, let's pose this question, David. What will get us there in your opinion? Good question. So I think in the, in the time I've been in procurement, I was struck when I first took the switch from, from finance that, that one of my first observations was I found a lot of discussions around how does procurement get a seat at the table? How do we get on the CEO's radar? Right. Uh, this slightly sort of neurotic idea about we're doing all this really great stuff. How, how do we make the business notice what we're doing? Mm. Um, I don't hear that anymore. And, and I mainly think that's because of that evolution in, in what procurement does uh, and how C-level view procurement today. Um, or, or put another way, and to answer your question directly, uh, if we really think about what is important to the business today and really think about how can procurement make a big impact to those topics, uh, that will be a different answer to different, to different companies right. and, at, and at different times of sort of economic cycles. At the moment, I'm sure some companies are really driving about how do we manage sort of current inflation challenges, the upcoming recession uh, that there seems to be coming, uh, or it could equally be driving forward sort of equality values, uh, such as we've done at Logitech in recent years. But if you really ask yourself that question, what is important to the business? What is our strategy uh, at this business? What are, what are our values? If you really ask yourself that question, and how can procurement really push forward those important topics? Mm. 
uh, you're essentially building your own sort of new strategic impact table. I promise you will find the CEO sits at that table. Uh, I, I can say that because that's effectively what, what we've done at Logitech in recent years with, with driving forward our equality agenda via our external spend. That's going to be a different answer to many different companies. But if you really right. ask that foundational question and then think how can procurement deliver that, that will get you the CEO attention. Mm. So, so uh, as you put, you're putting it then kind of don't worry about getting a seat at the table, build your own. Build it and they, exactly, they shall come, exactly. so to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, don't ask, how do I get a seat at the table? I suppose you're asking yourself the table, what table does my company need? Mm. And, and I'm going to go and build it. Yeah. And, and if you do a good job of that, then leadership will sit in it. I mean, you, you spoke and touched upon some of the shifts that you guys have done at, at Logitech. I'm, I'm curious, what are the shifts that you've seen since you've started there? Maybe they were already in place before before you've started as well. Um, as I know that Logitech is a, is a, is a business in, in, in the forefront, um, what are some of the major shifts that you've seen happening within the business uh, in procurement in particular? The biggest shift we've had in recent years, Sam, uh, was in 2020. And, and I think this is true for a lot of organizations. Yeah. Uh, 2020, a year that will live long in the memory for, for a number of reasons. Uh, and I think at Logitech, the reason it was a big year for us is equality is codified as a core value at Logitech. Mm. That comes directly from Bracken Durrell, our CEO, who's hugely passionate about the topic of equality. And we thought we were a great ally for equality. In fact, well, we were being a great ally for equality, but we had this enlightenment in 2020 that we could certainly be doing a lot more. We could be doing a better ally. Uh, the huge disruption from COVID, of course, mm. really sort of enlightened us about, wow, we can do a lot more. Yeah the George Floyd incident and, and other topics really made us think we need to speak out a lot more. We need to do a lot more. Yes, we're being an ally, but if it's our core value, there are other things we can be doing. And, and in my world of procurement, I think the, the immediate impact of that was that we really refreshed a formalized supplier diversity program, uh, resourced out of the US. We have some really ambitious goals. There's some really ambitious global goals. Mm. Uh, which, which, as a lot of your listeners will know, is pretty tough. We're, we're starting to move the needle in the US, but our impact ultimately is to have a really profound impact globally. Um, but not only that, I think when we did that uh, in 2020, it also came with this kind of a, this challenge from Bracken or this sort of question that we asked ourselves, which went along the lines of something like, if equality is our core value, that core value should ideally be shared by, reflected by, and driven forward by all of our suppliers, right. not just diverse suppliers. Mm. Supplier diversity is a fantastic initiative. I'm very passionate about that. And we have really ambitious goals. Mm. But we're not going to get all of our spend to be diverse. In fact, at the very least, we're going to end up with sort of 85% plus of our spend being non-diverse. Mm. A lot of those organizations are really large organizations. Right. How yeah. can we make them move on equality? And, and, and also, I mean, there are some industries that are so dominated by large players that, that supplier diversity in its strictest sense would really struggle to impact, you know, the media industry with, with the massive tech players there, or it would really struggle to impact the corporate travel industry, that there is no diverse owned airline, to my knowledge, mm. and, and yet we all fly around the world. How do we impact these huge companies? That was a question we asked ourselves about, if we're true to our word, that equality is our core value we need to be impacting all of our suppliers towards equality. Mm. So, uh, so many great insights. I'm, I'm curious and hearing a little bit more, and you touched upon it. I mean, 
you guys are a business that's taken a massive journey um, and you're leading with equality as a core value. Uh, I'm curious, do you have any specific um, examples that you could share with our listeners that are out there maybe seeking to be better within this particular space that you could kind of give as, as examples of things you've continued to work upon within diversity and equality and inclusion in the Logitech organization? We do, yeah. And I'll, I'll start with the simple maths that, that I mentioned just a moment ago there, that, that at the moment um, we're seeing nice growth in our diverse spend uh, and, and we're, we're ultimately looking to go into kind of uh, sort of 10, 15% of our spend being diverse. That's our ultimate real sort of a, um, aspirational goals. But if we do that, there's still 85% of our spend is with non-diverse companies. Right. Um, so that, that that's a huge potential impact. There's a huge untapped potential for impact there um, that we really want to look at. And then I think if you look at Logitech as a company and the, we're a consumer electronics company, um, going back to that question I asked myself about, it's really important for companies to ask themselves, do we care about these topics mm. and where can we have most impact? And I think at Logitech, when you look at it globally, we're a consumer electronics company. Um, a lot of the really technical roles in our company are, are, are historically male-dominated. Gen gender equality is tough in the technology industry. Yeah. Uh, we really want to drive gender equality. Uh, when you look at some of our major verticals, gaming is a huge area for us. And again, that's an industry that's had big gender equality issues. Gender is a big issue in technology. It's also a big issue that, that we can have a real impact towards. So I think combining those two ideas, we're looking to leverage all of that 85% plus of our spend uh, to try and leverage gender equality. Uh, again, I'll throw a statistic at you. Only 1% of spend, corporate spend globally today goes to women-owned businesses. Mm. So, so you could argue that the other 99% of corporate spend yeah. is, is a huge opportunity, uh, an untapped opportunity for a gender lens to, to that procurement. Mm. And, and that's essentially what we're doing, really. We're, we're, using to, we're looking to use that 90% plus of our spend to leverage gender equality. Uh, a lot of that spend is with large companies. These large companies employ millions of people across the globe, trillions of dollars of revenue. Right. We need these companies to progress on gender equality. Put bluntly, society will not achieve gender equality without these companies becoming gender equal. So, so that's our target audience. Yeah. And, and to do that, we, we co-founded this summer uh, the Coalition for Gender Fair Procurement. Uh, we co-founded that with an organization called Gender Fair. Uh, gender Fair are a great organization. They created an assessment that essentially is a set of metrics that answer the question, is this company living up to the UN women empowerment principles? It asks questions around women's representation at leadership, policies, procedures, advertising, a whole bunch of different areas. And it essentially asks the question, are you living up to the UN women empowerment principles? They started doing that with really large uh, business to consumer companies. And the reason they did that is that they're looking to influence where does Sam spend his money, where does David spend his money, where do all of us spend our money? Right. Ideally, we go to companies that are living up to the UN Women Empowerment Principles. That's a really powerful idea. We love that idea and thought, wouldn't it be amazing to bring that into corporate procurement? Mm. Um, so that, that was the big vision. We started, we took the assessment ourselves, um, and we're going to do that each year, and we're going to keep on looking to improve. Uh, that's a start, but so far it's essentially, you know, internal DEI. Uh, where, where does procurement come in? My procurement team comes in and our external spend comes in 
that we're looking to extend our impact. We're going out to our high-impact high suppliers. Right. These are suppliers we spend a lot with. They're suppliers that have high headcounts and high revenues. Suppliers, frankly, that if they move on gender equality can have a huge impact. And, and it also happens that they're, that they're suppliers that are very difficult to swap out for a diverse option. Mm. So it kind of it kind of balances nicely with our typical supplier diversity efforts. We're doing that with those suppliers, and we're asking them to take this assessment each year and to continue to improve on gender equality. Um, but the I mean, I called it a coalition, and the reason I call it a coalition is that the ultimate goal goes beyond that. The ultimate goal is to change the whole procurement industry. Um, You'll be, of course, aware, as a lot of the listeners will be, that there's things that typically happen when large organizations work with each other. There's a raft of requirements around compliance, data security, privacy, et cetera. Right. What doesn't happen is an industry default. It's a simple question. Hey, I'm a mega company XYZ. Before I work with you, Sam, I want to know, is your company living up to the UN Women Empowerment Principles? Mm. Are you gender fair? That doesn't get asked as a, sim as a simple question. Um, it doesn't get asked... There isn't an aspirational industry standard. I think we can learn a lot from the environmental cause here that, that everyone is beginning to know on the tip of their tongue, right. hey, when are you going to be net zero? When are you going to be carbon neutral? When are you going to be this? And, and that drives a real race to the top. If you think about equality, when are you going to be gender equal is a really fundamental question, mm. but there isn't an aspirational kind of industry standard for it. The coalition is looking to make it entirely standard that we ask each other that question. And then when I say to a potential supplier of ours, hey, guys, when are you going to be gender equal? I want them to know the answer to that. I don't think they do at the moment, but we want them to know the answer. That is the ultimate goal, to, to leverage all of that corporate procurement um, to move the sector towards gender equality. That's the ultimate goal of the, of the coalition. And it's a fantastic vision and a fantastic journey that you guys are, are on, uh, one that I think that a lot of our listeners can be able to take inspiration from. We being a business you know, who know... Uh, compliance and are helping customers to be able to, you know, work with more inclusive spend as well. We also understand the struggles behind it um, to to ensure gender equality in a business. And you you put it very 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 smartly, and I, I think very frankly there in in understanding that sometimes procurement needs to use their power by addressing the uh, the element of the uh, of the the supplier base that is never going to be a diverse supplier base, right? Exactly. And, and ensuring that they themselves are, are trying to scale that particular impact themselves. When, when that is the case, because I'm sure that that's the case, uh, you know, for a lot of the, the, the listeners and their organizations that are out there, if they're practitioners themselves, I mean, that's a pretty great challenge. How do you, how do you overcome a challenge like that? How do you, how do you entice, you know, and empower inclusive spend both in your own organization, but but also in in other organizations that are in your supplier base that themselves are are, are not diverse suppliers. Yeah, no, that's a great question, Sam. And I think I think when we when we first started really looking into these topics uh, to create our refresh program, like I said back in twenty twenty, um, in many ways we were actually unwinding some of some of the training we'd given to our business already and. And what I mean by that, I think if I was talking to a lot of internal spenders at Logitech five years ago, I would have been talking to them about things like, do you know what you need to do? The way to procure things is you consolidate everything with one supplier. You see who can do it with you globally. You look at the Gartner um, 
review, the Forest Review, <laughs> and all the other uh, groups that will give you the who, who, who are the best players at this. You do all that, but you know what you'll have done? You'll have removed the slightest chance of any diverse supplier really working with you. Right. You, you. You might have managed according to risk, and you may well have managed according to cost, but, but what you won't have d- done is really given diverse suppliers a chance. Right. So, I, and, and frankly, that's still something we're battling with today. And I think I have to look at myself and think, well, well, yeah, I, I spent a few years telling the business that's what they need to do. Mm. And, and now I find myself saying, yeah, that's kind of true, but the, the, you need to add something different to it now. So I think, I think that's a big challenge. Um, I think another big challenge is it's, it's a pretty par for the course activity to add a lot of these topics to RFPs, your, your request for proposals right. and include it in waiting. That makes a ton of sense, but it's also very difficult to get the point across that this isn't just window dressing. Mm-hmm. This kind of 5 or 10% on top isn't just window dressing. This is really important to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an internal point as much as it is an external point. So I think it's a lot of it is, is looking at how you make internal decisions yourself. Right. Um, another, another thing we're still wrangling with today, because by no means are we the finished article, I think it's really important to have leadership not only support these activities, and we have huge support from 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 Brack and uh, Darrell, our CEO, and others on the leadership team. That's fantastic. But I think where that needs to have a practical impact is around topics like we are okay if you take an acceptable level of risk to go with a new supplier, which may be diverse owned, it may be more inclusive, it may be gender fair, whatever it might be. Mm. It might be a sort of company that really supports our values, but it's a new supplier. We get that. And there's a risk with a new supplier. It's a strategic area for our business. I think there's a certain aspect that we need to be really clear with. We are okay with managing risks in that regard. There is an acceptable level of risk in that. Yeah. And, and that, again, sort of jars a little bit with what I was mentioning earlier about the traditional procurement. Mm. Um, and then, and I think last but not least, we have really strong, ambitious goals, like I say. Um, they're kind of corporate level goals, and, and that's fantastic. Yeah. But where they really need to be empowered is you achieve corporate-wide goals by separate groups and business groups and functions within that organization also having goals mm. um, that, that then build up towards that corporate-wide one. And, and the, the primary importance of that, I think, is is it gets away from this idea of I'm sure I'm sure it's the same at any organization that oh supplier diversity target that's that's David and his team's target and and yes it is <laughs> that is true on the face of it but for that to ever be achieved it's a business target and that needs all of the business to, to be driving towards it too right. so I think a lot of the a lot of the challenges to achieve sort of inclusive sourcing whether it be non diverse companies that that are doing great things towards these topics. Or whether it be diverse owned businesses themselves, I think one of the myths that hopefully is busted at this stage is that those good companies they are out there. The, the whole excuse that there isn't um, a diverse owned or a, or a really great inclusive business out there in the vast majority of sectors that is a myth that they are there. I think the reason we sometimes don't get them is a lot of it is to do with internal challenges, like I said around right. traditional procurement methodologies and managing risk. Um, really encouraging your teams that if it's in line with our values, there is an acceptable level of risk. Really looking at maybe you split up some of those global contracts. A lot of those are internal barriers. Uh, we're working through that. I'm sure most other companies are working through that. Right. They're the biggest blockers, I think, to really blowing this wide open. It's it's a lot of these problems are 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 the problems of the large companies, not the 
not the diverse owned or the or the social impact companies that are out there because there are great companies out there that can work with us. Well, it's the it's the notion of you know the be the change you want to see in this world, and the fact is you know procurement is traditionally exactly. working in a context where cost is in focus, and uh, you know unfortunately procurement is traditionally white men in blue suits, right? Uh, this we know. Uh, it's becoming more more white men in blue jeans, I would say, based upon some of the more recent. Uh, uh, events that I've attended, it, you know, procurement's definitely getting younger, but it's it's apparent that it's it's still not incredibly gender fair. It's not incredibly diverse within the function. And you know, the fact is, is it's easy to work with people that look like you. You know, we're two white men talking about diversity and inclusion and <laughs> and equality on yeah. a podcast, right? Um, I'm curious how do how how do teams look within and work with these these elements? I mean, do you have a concrete tip that for example, our, our listeners can maybe take away with them and, 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 and go back to their teams and either look in the mirror or look in their supplier base and say, this is something that we can work with. I think starting with the function itself, I, I would agree with you. I think at recent conferences I've been to, that, that would be my sense as well, but both on the genes uh, progression, but, but also but also that it's still we, we still have that challenge around around gender and 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 probably ethnic uh, diversity too. Mm. Um, I think a couple of things. I think what's true for the wider business is also true for procurement. That that the next the next generation, uh, the Gen Zs and the Millennials, really are driving change. I, I think they really do with a passion want to want to support companies that, that share their values. Mm. That's as true if they're buying from those companies as it is working from them. So I think we talked about talent earlier on and, and sort of next generation talent in procurement is a challenge to get that great talent. It's going to be even more of a challenge if they don't view you as, as, as being reflective of their own values. So I think there's a huge talent right. uh, win required there. Right. Um, on that talent point, I think we can probably get away from the traditional mindset, can't we? That if you ask most people what is procurement, There'll be any number of answers, some of which I probably wouldn't be too too happy with. But if there's any theme, it might be about sort of you know negotiating a deal, banging your fist on the table, getting the best price, etc. Right. And and there is there is a space for that in some areas, of course. But it's not it's not where the vast majority of procurement is going. When it goes back to those topics we spoke about about looking at the business as a whole, really seeing where can we go next, how can I partner with marketing, IT, manufacturing, whatever it might be. How can I partner with them to really make sure we have an impact? I think that role will appeal to a lot more people mm. than, than would have realized that that's what procurement is. And it may not have been what procurement was, but it's certainly what procurement is becoming. So I think I think the next generation is key, both in that in terms of that talent pool, like I say, but also also making sure that 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 we take their lead with with where procurement is going. And, and we need to do that because that, that's how you'll get the best talent too. Yeah, and that's a that's a brave uh, a brave notion, I think, as well to uh, allow the next generation to to uh, take over and and start to understand that they themselves. I mean, we were talking about this the other day internally. You know, the millennials that everybody's laughed in the face of. Well, they're they're you know twenty six to forty one years old, right? I mean, they are yeah. they are our new line managers. Um, so it's a shift happening for sure. But great insights, nonetheless. Um, I'm curious, and and you've said a lot of things that I'm sure you've learned along your your uh, you know great career that you've had now uh, for the last nine years. It has been right in procurement space, um, or or am I or am I am I giving you too few years there, David? 
no, I think it's something like that. I, I did move from finance. To, the honest answer is I can't remember. <laughs> I'll take that as a good thing, but, it, but uh, it's something like well, that. Well, I'm curious, you know, what's one thing that, you know, you now know today that you wish you knew at the be- beginning of your career? And that could have been your beginning of your career in procurement, but or, or your professional career. The, the immediate answer that comes to me, Sam, on that, and, and it's not just specific to procurement, I think it's relevant to whatever function you're in. Mm. And, and it really comes from the perspective of companies are looking to hire really good people, whether mm. that be straight out of college interns or whether it be at sea level. We're looking to hire really good people with really good ideas, curiosity about what can we do next, what can we do better. And I think if I could say anything to myself when I was that kind of 21, 22-year-old coming to the workforce, be that. Like it's, it's intimidating when you do join the business world. And, and there is a right way of doing this, of course. But, but always ask yourself the question, why do we do this? Or, or what's the benefit of us doing this? What, what, is, what is the company gaining from me doing this process or that process? Could it be done another way? Does it even need to be done at all? Um, I think... All too often when you join the workforce, at more junior levels particularly, you're, it's very much you do, you do what is already established or you do it the way that it's always been done. And, and that's sometimes, sometimes reinforced with management at, at more sort of entry levels too. Mm. But there's a massive paradox there because what good leaders want, of course, is they want to hear the best ideas from people at all levels of the business. They may not have as close a view as what's happening in certain areas. They need people in these areas to really be asking those questions. So I think within the remit of doing it the right way and going to your manager, and I don't, I don't want to be encouraging people to start, uh, to start being a pain in the neck for their leadership. <laughs> right, right. But I, think, but I think with all that said, ask yourself the question, why do we do this? What is the benefit for the company? And if we need to do this, is there a quicker, smarter, easier way to do this? All, ask all those sort of questions and you'll get yourself thinking with that curiosity about what can the business do better. And I think if you do that, then, then you'll be doing your job very well. And, and I think it's, it's, it's certainly when, when you get into more senior roles, that kind, of, that kind of ideology becomes more and more important, I think, that it, that, it, that it gets less about the doing, doesn't it? And it gets way more about why are we doing what we're doing today? What can we do tomorrow? And, and how can we do things better tomorrow? But that, that you can start that straight out of college. I think that's the key thing, that, that, that make sure you keep that curiosity. Curiosity, it, it's so important. It's actually one of our core values at, at Kodiak Hub is to remain curious. And a great tip for both people at entry-level positions, but as you said also to any procurement leaders that are out there, is to be curious of what that next generation has to say and be ready Absolutely. to hear their thoughts uh, that, even if they're very different than those of of your team that exists, or of the the age of procurement that was once before as well. Now, absolutely. Now, absolutely. I'd love to get into a, a, the last section as we unfortunately have to round off here, David. Uh, it's our session, uh, our, our our section of the 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 podcast where we like to talk about our little Kodiak moments. As you remember, the uh, candid. Um, camera brand Kodak uh, years ago had the Kodak moment where they would capture a special uh, place and time with just one photo. I want to capture a special time with you here in a little bit of a quick fire round of questions so that our listeners can get to know a little bit more about David, the man, not just the procurement expert. How does that sound with you? 
Well, you, you, you've immediately made me nervous, but uh, but I'm up for anything. So, so yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> I, I, I assure you, these are much more surface level questions than you're probably expecting. Uh, so let's let's start off with a real softball here. One book uh, that you would suggest to anyone that's out there read, reading currently, uh, or something that you've read previously. There's a book I read a while ago, I'm going to make a hash of the title, but it was something along the lines of what I didn't learn at Harvard Business School. Mm. I think that's what it was called. And and it was a really uh, written by a really smart guy. Um, Can't remember his background, but he certainly didn't go to Harvard Business School. And maybe maybe he did. (laughs) But his his, his his point was a lot of what he learned and a lot of what made him really successful was just really practical tips. So I think it, it was a very... It was a very easy book to, to take some practical guidance from. I think it's called What I Didn't Learn at Harvard Business School, but maybe we can share the real title afterwards if that isn't it. Yeah, absolutely. We can make sure to do so in the in the podcast uh, meeting notes. Absolutely. I, I'm curious then, if you were to have dinner with one person, that person needs to be alive, who would it be? <sighs> Good question. I, I, I was fully prepped for one that was no longer with us. Um who would I have dinner with? Um, well, you could take the dead and then the alive. How about that? Okay, well, yeah, let me answer the dead one, and I'll think on the alive one. I think the dead one, I'm going to give a fairly predictable answer here for, for an English guy with a Second World War interest, but I'll go with Winston Churchill mm. for, the, for, the, for the person that's dead. I, I think not only would it be fascinating to listen to him, I, I also know that he... He liked a good meal and a good drink, so it probably be it probably be a fun occasion. Exactly. Too. What, what what was it? He drank uh, he drank a liter of uh, port or, or or sherry before before uh, twelve o'clock noon or something of the, of the sort. Something incredible. <laughs> <laughs> so, something incredible like that, and and that's given me a bit of time to think about the next question. Who would I who would I like to to have a meal with that's alive? Uh, I'm a big fan of cricket. Again, an English peculiarity. I'm a big fan of cricket. And for those of you that are familiar with it, England had a long history in my early years of losing to Australia in the mm. in the Ashes, the, the famous series between England and Australia. Um, back in the early 2000s, England finally beat Australia in, in a really famous series uh, where Michael Vaughan was the, the cap- captain of England. So I think hear, hearing his thoughts as the captain of that team would be would be very interesting. An utterly n- niche response. I, I love it. <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> cu- Some people will love it, though. <laughs> yeah, for, for certain, for certain. Um, last question. All expenses paid. It's, it's, it's ready to go. Tomorrow morning, you're waking up. You're going on a vacation. Where are you heading? I'm going to give a short, a short haul answer to this, which may surprise some. Um, I'm recently back from Venice. And I absolutely fell in love with with the place. The, the just it's such a unique place, um, beautiful city. It's it's a um, it, it's tarnished with a certain amount of pain that I actually did the marathon in in Venice, and it, I found it a really hard marathon. It was quite hot, um, but I I left the place thinking I'd love to come back here really soon. So if I could go anywhere tomorrow, I think I'd just go back to Venice, enjoy the canals, the the gondolas. And, and the food and the wine, I think. So I, I'd go straight back to Venice. And if I uh, had the opportunity, I would book my ticket as well to join you along that uh, journey. It sounds it sounds absolutely <laughs> lovely, David. We appreciate but you. Don't t- do the marathon. <laughs> no, that that I'm not planning. I was thinking more about the food and wine. Uh, David, we <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to be able to be on this episode of the Way We Source. If people want to get in touch with you or want to want to have a conversation, where could they be able to find you? 
they can catch me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. They can find me on there. And also, if they want to find out more about our coalition that we launched this summer, uh, it's a pretty simple uh, URL that I guess we can give the link to as well. But it's genderfairprocurement.com. Uh, they can find out more about the initiative we're doing there or, or Logitech uh, itself. Uh, there's a supplier diversity page on our, on our corporate page, so you can find out what we're doing there as well. But um, if, if happy to talk with anyone that, that, that listens, and you can find me on LinkedIn is the short answer. Fantastic. Thank you, David. And we'll make sure to share both of those links in the podcast notes. I appreciate you taking the time. Always a pleasure to be able to chat with you, and I wish you a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I really enjoyed our chat.